Welcome to the Boone's Creek Baptist Church podcast. We are a church that exists to spread God's glory from our neighbors to the nations. This is Pastor Tim Wade, and we pray that you will be blessed as we consider God's living, active, and all-sufficient Word together. Amen. Well, thank you, Philip and Julie, for a beautiful reminder of the wondrous love of our Lord. And it may seem, at least on the surface, uh, a bit of an odd juxtaposition to uh, just, as you look through your bulletin, you see uh, the title of the song, What Wondrous Love Is This? And then right below it, the message is cursed. But it's not really a juxtaposition because in that song that Philip and Julie and Alicia just uh, sang and so beautifully performed for us, we see the very truth in summation that I'm going to attempt to communicate to you through Scripture this morning, and that is the truth that though we are under the curse of sin, that the Lord of bliss has taken our dreadful curse upon Himself, and in doing so has demonstrated His wondrous love to us. It is in fact the the most incredible manifestation of His love because God could have given us air to breathe, sun to shine on our faces, food to fill our bellies and a roof over our heads. But if He had not taken upon Himself our curse, the penalty that our sin had incurred and removed it from us by His death on the cross, then again, we would be hopeless and all of those other things would be mere fleeting indulgences that would give way to an eternal anguish. And so we have every reason, though we will explore and seek to understand through God's Word in Genesis 3, the curse that is laid upon all of mankind, we can already see, and, and I apologize for the spoiler alert here, but by the end of the sermon, what we're going to see is that the Lord of bliss has taken our dreadful curse upon Himself. And because of that, we can be free. We can have hope of redemption, of reconciliation with God, of restoration to life, and an eternity to spend in His presence. And so with that said, I would ask that you turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, as you're turning there, I'm sure that you all at one point or other have either contemplated yourselves or have heard someone ask you, or just are aware of the fact that the the question exists, the most common question perhaps people ask about Christianity in the Bible is this. If there is a God, why do bad things happen? Or more specifically, why do bad things happen to good people? It's a very common question that that many people at some point or other in their lives will come into contact with, and, and perhaps even as Christians struggle to answer ourselves. Every one of us can doubtlessly recognize that bad things happen. People get sick. Houses burn down. Tornadoes rip through and destroy communities. Wars make widows and orphans. Diseases make life miserable. And even just this past week, we've been praying alongside one of our own beloved families who have suffered a tragic and unexpected loss. And so we recognize beyond any shadow of a doubt, bad things happen. 
And so people inevitably ask, why? Where does this come from? Why would God allow such things as these to occur? But in order to answer that question, we have to have an understanding of Genesis 3 and the curse of sin that is placed on creation as a result of sin. Here in this chapter, we are told where pain, suffering, disasters, and all other unpleasant things, including death, all come from. And so today as we consider these verses, we need to see how comprehensive the curse really is. As a result of sin, humanity now faces alienation from creation, the very earth that God placed humanity in. We experience alienation from ourselves, alienation from one another, and alienation from God. And so therefore, if you are able this morning, I would ask that you please stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God as we read together Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. There we read, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's once more turn to the Lord in prayer this morning. God, we come before you today acknowledging that every one of us, in some way or another, in some form or another, have felt the awful effects of this curse that we have just read about. This week, many in our congregation are feeling it perhaps more heavily than before as we deal with loss. Lord, others among us may be feeling it even now in their bones and in their bodies as things hurt that shouldn't hurt, as they know weakness where once there had been strength. We sense deterioration and decay even within our own bodies. Lord, we see evil prevailing all around us and we cry out from the depths of our being, Lord, why and how long will these things continue? Lord, we have our answer here. And yet, Lord, despite the curses handed down for our rebellion, we still look forward in hope. To the day when you will bring about your restoration. When you will return us like weary exiles to Eden. Where we will be once again in 
fellowship with you untainted by sin. Lord, give us the sure and steadfast hope today as we consider your word. And if we do not possess that hope, Lord, I pray that today would be the day when we repent of our sins, when we renounce our wickedness, when we cry out to you for freedom from this great curse. When we hand our lives over to you in faith, acknowledging that you, O Lord, are our only hope. And so it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Again, as we read here through Genesis chapter 3 and the curse that comes as a result of sin, what we see is that on multiple levels, man is now going to experience the effects of the curse through alienation or through the destruction of relationships that were previously good and harmonious and joyful. Those relationships have now become strained and filled with tension and Animosity, And the first relationship that we see that becomes like that is actually our relationship with the created world, with all of creation. We see alienation from creation. We see this in verse 14 with the cursing of the serpent, but also down in verse 17. There God tells Adam that the very ground beneath his feet will be cursed because of his sin. In these two verses we're given just a little glimpse and to how comprehensively all of creation suffers as a result of man's sin. First, in verse 14, we're told that the serpent is cursed. Now, the serpent was the tool that Satan used to tempt Adam and Eve. The serpent was a creature that God had made and placed there on his earth. Many have suggested that because of the way this curse is worded, that because God curses the serpent to go on his belly and to lick the dust or eat the dust, that the serpent may have actually walked on two or four legs before this, essentially like a dragon. Now, that I think is actually quite possible and may explain many of the dragon myths that we see in different parts of the world, how they came to be. But in this curse, God pronounces that the serpent is going to become a loathsome thing. It will live in dirt as it slithers on the ground. And even though the serpent was used by Satan as a tool of his deception, the cursing of the serpent serves as a perpetual reminder every time we see a snake and we acknowledge that's a thing that I don't like. It's a thing that slithers in the dirt. It's a thing that's been humiliated. Every time we see that, we are reminded that Satan himself has been humiliated and will ultimately be defeated by Christ. More comprehensively, though, in verse 17, we see that the very ground is cursed. Now, we don't see all the ramifications of this. We don't see in every detail. God doesn't explain to Adam, this is how the ground is going to be cursed. This is all the things that's going to come as a result of that. We don't see that just yet, but in Romans 8, Paul explains for us the full extent of this curse. He explains to us how this plays itself out in all of creation so that we read in verses 19 through 22 of Romans 8. There it says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself 
will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 8 is that when God delivered His curse as a result of sin, that all of creation, the entirety of the universe, was subjected to futility. And it was placed in bondage. It's like a dark veil fell over all of creation. The earth and everything in it. The introduction of sin into the equation. And the universe that we see now is even now in bondage to corruption. That is how far reaching the effects of sin is. It's why nature, you know, I love to watch nature documentaries, planet earth, they're fascinating and, and many times stunning and beautiful and it's incredible to see all these creatures that live in the earth that, that we share and yet what we find inevitably as you watch those nature documentaries and planet earth is that something is going to get eaten, Right? You, you know as soon as you turn it on, sooner or later something is going to get eaten because nature is red in tooth and claw, as Tennyson put it. We see this as a result of the curse that is placed on it. And we know that ultimately, as we're told in Isaiah, that one day the lion will lie down next to the lamb and the little child will play over the serpent's den because they will neither hurt nor harm in all of my holy mountain. God is bringing about a restoration of creation to a good and peaceful order where it will no longer be violent and deadly. And so we see here that as a result of sin, we have violence and chaos in all of creation, that that all of creation is subjected to futility. It's in bondage to sin. This is why new diseases continue to emerge. It's why tornadoes, hurricanes, and earthquakes wreak havoc on communities. Creation is groaning because of our sin. We need to understand how big of a deal sin is, how far-reaching its effects really are. These things are not sent to us by a vindictive God, nor are they forces beyond His control, but they are realities of a corrupted world. Most of you probably... No, because you've opened up an email at some point or other that you shouldn't have opened up. You've clicked on a link that you shouldn't have clicked on. You've gone somewhere that you shouldn't have. That When your computer gets a virus, it doesn't function the way that it was designed to function. Right? All of a sudden, things are popping up and it's shutting down and you get the blue screen of death inevitably, unless you own a Mac and then you don't have to worry about those things, but... Nonetheless, when a computer is corrupted by a virus, it ceases to function the way that it was designed to function. Our world is corrupted by a virus. And so it does not function the way that it was designed to function. That virus is sin. And it affects every aspect of our lives in this world. But God is not just passively wringing His hand, saying, oh, how terrible that is. Unable to do anything about it. He has actually sent His Son to bring about the redemption of His creation and to cleanse it from every stain of sin. So that when Christ returns, Romans 8 tells us, and the sons of God are revealed, when we are brought to Him in resurrected glory, 
that the curse will be broken and all of creation will be set free to be as it was intended to be. To function as it was intended to function. Christ's redemption is comprehensive. Not just of our own souls, but of the very creation. Despite this curse, we know that the world is still a marvelous and beautiful place. The way that God made it, His beauty shines through even despite the curse. Despite this corruption, as Romans 8 says. Yet, what we can infer from this is the fact that the most beautiful sunset you have ever seen, the most dazzling stars to ever fill the night sky, have only ever been seen through sin-cursed eyes. And they themselves are unable to give God all the glory that they were designed to give. So that when Christ does come back and He undoes the curse, the stars will be more beautiful, the water will be more clear, the watermelons will be more sweet, and the song of the birds will be more lovely than anything we have ever experienced. How we long for that day when we will no longer be alienated from the world that we were placed in. And that we can live together in harmony and peace with the world and all of its creatures. Not only has the curse affected our relationship with creation, with the world in which we live, we see here that it has also alienated us from ourselves. What does that mean? Well, Within the curses pronounced by God, we see that God tells man and woman, Adam and Eve, that their God-given roles that they were supposed to fulfill in His creation are now flipped on their head. Instead of being fruitful and multiplying, instead of that command being a joyful and easy experience, now pain and difficulty are going to attend childbearing. Instead of stewarding the earth and caring for it and cultivating it and expanding the borders of Eden as the knowledge of God fills the earth as the waters cover the sea, now the earth is going to rebel against man and his efforts to subdue it. Instead of the earth yielding her fruit willingly, man and woman would now have to labor and only by sweat and pain would they Eat And so what we see in all of this is that the very roles, the very jobs that man and woman were created to fulfill have now become difficult for them. It's not going to come naturally. Men and women were made to fulfill their God-given roles with joy and satisfaction. And yet, as a result of sin, now there's a disconnect between who we are And who we were meant to be. Later this year, I will turn 40. And I know that the running joke uh, among men is that around that time, we will have some sort of midlife crisis, right? Don't worry, I, I don't have the funds to buy a Ferrari or anything like that. And I'm not brave enough to get a motorcycle. So put Lauren's mind at ease. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Buy something expensive, some toy or something that we can play with? But the reality behind that sentiment, and we all laugh about that, we all know that and, and are familiar with that idea, but the reality is that around the middle point of life, most men come to an unfortunate realization 
that their life is half over. And all that they had hoped to accomplish, they haven't come near to accomplishing. Their purpose for being here, their grand plans, their grand dreams, have usually fallen by the wayside. And we've given way to just merely surviving. And so we feel this inner turmoil, this alienation from ourselves, this recognition that my life isn't what I had hoped. It's not all that I had dreamed for. I've not fulfilled the great realities for which I was created. We haven't lived up to the expectations that we've set for ourselves or even that we see in Scripture. How many women likewise spend their years second-guessing the decisions they've made and raising their children, wishing things had been different, wishing they could go back to an earlier time. How many women have suffered through miscarriages or infertility or even loneliness and singleness, recognizing that what they had hoped for themselves has not come to pass? All of these inner struggles find their root Right here in the fall. Because we recognize that our lives aren't what they could have been or what they should have been. Today in our society, this is one of the great prevailing ideas that is destroying so many lives. That this turmoil that you feel within you means that you need to change who you are outwardly. That if you experience some sort of turmoil or question about your identity, that you should alter your appearance or perhaps even go through surgical procedures to change how you present as either a boy or a girl. And lives are being destroyed all because we are not at peace with ourselves. And what so many people find all too late is that it doesn't matter what kind of surgical procedures you go through. It doesn't matter what kind of medications you take. It doesn't matter what kind of toys you purchase that nothing will satisfy that inner turmoil until we find our reconciliation with God. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee. God has created us to know Him. And so long as we remain in rebellion, separated from Him, we are going to experience inner turmoil and crisis. But the good news for us as Christians is that Even if that is true for you, you do not have to despair. Even if you feel like all your years have been wasted, that they've come to nothing, even if you never bear children, God can replace the years that the locusts have eaten. God can give us a name and a monument better than sons and daughters. And in 10,000 years, we will be living joyfully in accordance with the purposes that God has made us for for which we were created. Our days then will not be a drudgery, but each one will be more exciting and more fulfilling than the last as we rule and reign as stewards over the universe that God has created and distributed to us through His Son. Until that day, we must contend with this alienation from the world in which we live and this alienation, this inner turmoil within ourselves. We must also learn to contend with alienation from one another. In the curse, just the just consequences of our sin, we see that the relationship between husband and wife becomes strained. It sours. 
Adam and Eve were supposed to be partners, co-laborers, helping one another, co-rulers in God's creation. But now, God tells Eve that her desire will be contrary to her husband. Or your Bible may say, depending on the translation, that Eve's desire will be toward her husband. Now, some have taken this to mean, they've read this curse where it says, your desire will be contrary to your husband, or again, toward your husband, but he shall rule over you. Some have taken this to mean that Eve will have a sexual desire for her husband. That wouldn't really be a curse, though, necessarily. But if we look at the very next chapter in Genesis chapter 4, we actually get some help in understanding what this term means. Whenever we're told that her desire will be toward her husband or contrary to her husband. When God addresses Cain in verse 7 of chapter 4, He warns Cain that sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for him. It's the exact same word. It's not referring to a sexual desire or a desire that means good for Cain. No, sin desires him like a lion desires a a steak. Right? It desires to devour him. It desires to consume him. To destroy him. Sin's desire toward us is not in any way good. It wants to rule over us. It wants to conquer us. And so when God addresses Eve and he says that your desire is going to be contrary to your husband or toward your husband, however it's translated, what he's describing is a power dynamic between the man and the woman that's going to become corrupted and unhealthy. Eve's desire then will be to usurp her husband's authority, to assert her own dominance within the household and within society. But that's not all. God says that the man will rule over the woman. And some men have read this and said, See, God said, I'm supposed to rule over you, but this too, this is not a good thing. What God is telling Eve is that Adam, in exchange, is going to be a tyrant over you. He is going to rule over woman like a dictator. He will not be a loving and kind husband. Because of sin, he will tend to be a domineering tyrant toward her. This is how the relationship dynamic between man and woman was corrupted by sin, and it still exists today. And so Christians, if we want to have successful marriages, we have to understand these impulses and where they come from. We have to understand that as natural-born human beings, what is going to tend to happen in our marriages is that women are going to tend to want to usurp and domineer over their husbands, and the husbands in turn are going to be domineering toward their wives. There's going to be a power struggle. There's going to be a tension within our marriages. God had designed marriage to be mutually beneficial. A cooperative endeavor endeavor where they could... Man and woman could help one another accomplish their God-given purposes. Yes, the husband is head of the household. and We can see that in Scripture. But what we see is that God intended him to exercise that headship in a way that loves and cherishes and builds up his wife. Enabling her to thrive while he sacrifices his own self-interests. He gives Himself up for His bride. And He loves His bride as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for the church. 
That's the power dynamic that God intended there to be between man and wife. The wife then in turn supports and encourages her husband, helping him accomplish their mutually beneficial agenda for the good of the family and the glory of God. But here we see that sin wrecks all this. Instead of harmony, there is discord. Instead of orderly cooperation, there is now a chaotic power struggle. And so men and women both need to realize that we have to fight against the curse in our marriages. If you're not fighting against these tendencies, it's likely that you're giving in to them and you don't even realize it. This is the root of all marital strife. And so if you want to have a healthy, God-honoring marriage, you need to understand how sin has affected that from the very get-go. As soon as man and woman are joined together in marriage, they've already brought all this baggage to the table. It's there to begin with. You don't have to wait till the lovey-dovey feelings wear off. right? That's what we blame on it. Well, the spark just isn't there anymore. No, you were, you were born in sin. There's a curse over your head. It doesn't matter how strong your affection for one another is. That alone will not overcome this curse. And so we need to understand how sin has affected our relationship with one another and pursue righteousness and reconciliation through obedience to God's Word. Finally, though, we see that in the curse, there's not only an alienation from creation, from self, and from one another, but perhaps the most awful effects of sin is the alienation that we experience from God. God's rule forbidding them from eating of the tree had carried with it a promise or a warning, a terrible penalty. And the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. It was likely then that when Adam and Eve hear God in the garden and they go to hide, they're hiding for their lives. They realize that the death penalty is on their heads. They were waiting for that hammer to fall. Some of you may remember that awful feeling that you may have had as a child when your mom or dad told you that they were leaving to go somewhere and that you, were, you had a job to do before they got back. You had to clean the room, feed the animals, whatever it might have been. And, and when you heard them pull back into the driveway and the car doors closed, you were just waiting for the hammer to fall, right? Because you knew you hadn't done the job that they'd left for you to do. That's probably something very similar to what Adam and Eve were facing, only instead of whatever punishment mom or dad might give out, they were expecting death. However, from the very first words of the curse, Adam and Eve may have picked up on something strange coming from the mouth of God. Maybe they weren't going to die after all. Maybe God was going to be merciful because God told Eve that she would bear children. And although it was going to be accompanied by pain, that was going to be something that would have to take place in the future. She was going to live past today. How could there be offspring if Eve were to die? And so surely she would live. Yet at the very end of this curse, the very last verses that we read, God makes it clear, death really is part of the equation now. One day, He says, you will return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return.
Death was indeed now a reality for Adam and Eve. But didn't God say that in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die? Why didn't they die on that day? Well, in one sense, they did. Greg Gilbert, the author of What is the Gospel, says their bodies continued to live. Lungs breathing, hearts beating, limbs moving. But their spiritual life, the one that matters most, ended immediately. Their fellowship with God was broken. And thus their hearts shriveled. Their minds filled up with selfish thoughts. Their eyes darkened to the beauty of God. And their souls became withered and arid. Utterly void of that spiritual life that God gave them in the beginning when everything was good. End quote. Indeed, that very day they died because they became alienated from God. And was to be, to be alienated from God is to be alienated from life itself, from the source of life, the source of everything that made life worthwhile. And this death spread from our very first parents to all of humanity. As the Bible says in Romans 5, so death spread to all men. Now at this point, There will be inevitably some who get mad at God and say, well, God, why did this have to be? God, why would you allow death to enter the equation? We blame God for death and disease, for accidents. It all goes back to the question that we started with. Why do bad things happen? Why must it be this way? But you see, if we ask that question, we direct our anger toward God, that anger is misplaced. When your car blows up and you tow it into the mechanic, you don't get mad at the mechanic when he looks at it and says, yep, you've blown your engine, but I can fix it. And yet that's what people do with God. The curse of sin is God looking at the equation and says, yep, you've blown it. And this is the effects. This is what's going to happen as a result of the fact that you've blown it. But I can fix it. I can fix it. God didn't bring death. Our sin did. But He can repair it. God was not done with humanity. We've already seen that the promised seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. Therefore, God sent His own Son. And what did Jesus do on the cross? He took our sin. He took our curse. As Philip and Julie sang earlier, He bore the dreadful curse for us. All of the curse of sin. The Bible tells us that everyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. And so Jesus indeed was cursed for us. He experienced the alienation from the creation that He had made. As He hung there on the cross, the sky grew dark, the earth shook as the One who had spoken into existence hung there dying. He experienced alienation from Himself as His body ached and His senses rebelled against Him and He thirsted and He cried out. He experienced alienation from other people as they mocked Him and spat on Him and beat Him and challenged Him to come down and save Himself. And He experienced alienation from God as He cried out, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? 
The very thorns that God would call forth from the ground in Genesis chapter 3 as evidence of the earth's curse were woven into a cursed crown and placed on His head. A symbol that He was now King of the curses. Jesus became the curse for us so that we could be spared. The power of the curse could be broken in our lives. So that we could be reconciled to creation and view it rightly. So that we could be reconciled to ourselves and understand rightly who we are as image bearers of God. So that we could be reconciled to one another in right relationships. And that ultimately so we could be reconciled to God. The serpent crusher became on the cross the curse remover by swallowing up our curse on our behalf. So that we can now read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where it says, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Verse 56, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us this victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The ultimate consequence of sin is death. It's the sting of death. But when Christ returns, and when our corruptible bodies puts on incorruptibility, when our mortal bodies put on immortality, then we will all stand together before the throne of God, and we will proclaim death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? Christ has come to remove that sting from us to remove the curse from us and so i urge you today submit yourself to him allow him to break the curse of sin in your life yes we will still contend with its effects in our life in our relationships in this world until as romans 8 says he returns until as first corinthians says he returns But sin's power can be broken over you today if you will repent of your sins and trust in Him. And so in just a moment, I would invite you to do just that. If you'd like to talk about how that can be the case for you, how you can experience that freedom from sin's curse, come and I'll be happy to talk to you today. If you would like to know, as a husband or as a wife, how you can overcome the curse of sin in your relationship with your spouse, How you can overcome that chaotic power struggle and and be reconciled to one another, then I would invite you to come as well. Be more than happy to walk with you through how you can overcome the effects of sin's curse in our lives. That's what we're all trying to do day by day. We are trying to live in such a way that we are overcoming the effects of sin's curse in our lives. It can only be accomplished fully and finally by the shed blood of Jesus. It must start there. And so if you need to know how that can be true of you, then I would invite you to come today as we pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and the hope that it contains. It is awful. It is awful and dreadful, Lord, to consider all the effects of sin's curse in our lives and in our world today. We see it. We see it every time we turn on the news. 
every time we open our phones, every time we talk to our friends. And we become accustomed to it, Lord. And in many ways, we become numb to its effects. Lord, wake us from our stupor. Cause us to hate sin and its effects and be willing to do whatever it takes to fight against it. Lord, we thank you that the victory has been won for us in Christ Jesus. And I pray that everyone here would know personally what that victory feels like in their lives. Yes, Lord, we will struggle. Yes, Lord, we will feel, still feel the effects of sin's curse. But Lord, I pray that you'd break its power through the blood of Jesus. So that one day soon, we can rejoice together before your throne as sin's and death's sting is fully and finally broken. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about today's sermon or would like more information about Boone's Creek Baptist Church, you can send us an email at boonscreekchurch at gmail.com or you can give us a call at 859-263-5466. You can also find us online at www.boonscreekchurch.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.